0: What's up, Saul Company? What's up, everyone? Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Colin, and I work on staff here at Saul Company. Stoked to be with you guys tonight for our last normal Saul Company. Uh, one of our seniors came up to me and uh, right before this and was like, "Hey, this is my last normal Saul Company," and I was really sad. So. Seniors, we're going to miss you guys uh, throughout the crowd. Uh, Also, want you to know next week, really excited about next week, night of worship, excited to worship with you guys, but also want to throw in a quick uh, plug that we're actually changing worship night just a little bit from how we've done it previously. and we are, in the middle of worship night, just going to give a really clear uh, explanation of what the gospel is and why we worship. And so if you have friends that love music or uh, friends that you've been waiting to invite to something like Saul Company, next week, even though it's a night of worship, it's still a great week to invite them. But for this week, we are going to be in Isaiah 6. So if you have a Bible, take it out. We've... Uh, we're, we're jumping to the beginning of Isaiah, and this story in Isaiah is going to give us a, a window into really how Isaiah's ministry started and why we have a book in the Bible named after him. And so Isaiah 6, but I got a question for you as you turn there. My question is, have you ever changed your mind about something? I assume everyone has, uh, but tr- but trying to get a, a, a little bit of a pulse for the room How many of you have changed your major, show of hands? How many of you have changed your major more than once, show of hands? How many of you have changed your major more than twice? Okay. Yeah, a few people. All right, you change your mind, you know, figuring it out. Uh, One of my friends, uh, he likes to play basketball, and uh, he, uh, some of you guys are probably like this too, he like walks out of his room, you know, and decides that the outfit he's wearing isn't great. You Maybe you have a roommate like this, but he takes it to a new level. It's like you're playing pickup basketball with him at the park. It's like, hey, why are you 20 minutes late? It's like, I was figuring out the perfect outfit to wear. It's like, I'm assuming the best in him. It's like, oh, you're like going on a date, you know, date night after this, like you're picking out your outfit. And it's like, no, I was choosing the right outfit to wear for basketball. It's like, huh, you're playing with a bunch of dudes, you're going to get sweaty for an hour and a half, you're going to go home, change, and shower, but I'm glad you have the right outfit and you're 20 minutes late. Uh, Change your mind. Uh, Recently, uh, my Timberwolves fandom, I'm just like, should I change my mind? I don't know, you know, it's been, it's a little bit of a rough stretch. I don't think I'm going to though. I love the Timberwolves. Uh, Last story, uh, one time when I changed my mind, I was in high school, And I was, you know, I was a little bit, I had a little pride in high school, so I was like, I'm going to start a Bible study uh, in order to reach people in the schools around me. I'm, you know, I'm a nice guy, I'm going to try to reach people with the gospel schools around me, so I recruited some friends. And I was like, those two friends were uh, the job of recruiting others to join our Bible study. And so it just like started off a little weird, because my guy friend decided to DM all the most popular girls in the metro area. And what's wild about it is they all showed up. So, it was like kind of odd though because we started the Bible study and I swear the opening question was like, how many Instagram followers do you have? Just like an awkward way to start a Bible study. But we're high schoolers, so we're figuring it out, you know. And we're probably on our second Bible study and it's like, we're like opening the Bible but people are cuddling on the couch. That was the last one I went to. I changed my mind. It was a, it was just a bad idea, right? Like it was so awkward and uncomfortable that I never went back. Uh, Bible study I started didn't go back to it. It's fine, guys. It's fine. People who come to know Jesus, God used it. Uh, but I'm guessing you guys all have a story similar to that of a time where you decided to change your mind. Bad idea. Got a bail. Changed my mind. And I'm. Something I've just noticed when I was thinking about this is we live in a culture that loves to change. Like we we actually like change. Even if you yourself don't like to change, we live in a culture that likes to change. We change fashion. We change what is cool how we should do our hair we want to change our phone to the latest model we're we're obsessed with sports trades and and how teams are changing we're, we're we're captivated by new political movements and new moral views we as a culture love change we love when things around us we're obsessed with the idea of change and if you're here tonight I'm wondering if you yourself actually want to change a lot of people come into places like this with this understanding that, man, there's something in me that's not quite right. I got, I got some, like, sin or brokenness or a hurt relationship that I want to change. And so tonight, we're actually going to look at this story from Isaiah 6, and I think one of the things the story's answering is how, how do people change? And so for you, the question I want you to think about is how can you change? So we're going to look at the story of Isaiah and what changed him, and we're going to focus on three things that changed Isaiah, and I think if you start to understand those things in your life, those are three things that might change you as well. So the the first thing that changes Isaiah is what his eyes see. Okay, what his eyes see changes him because what Isaiah is about to see is going to reshape everything Isaiah has ever seen before, everything he's ever experienced. This is Isaiah 6, verse 1. This is how it starts. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Okay, I just want to stop there. There's a reason. That's the only thing on the, on the screen right now is because we need a little context. Who is King Uzziah and why does his death matter? Well, King Uzziah is a king over Israel that brought a lot of prosperity to the people of Israel. So under his reign, they were wealthy, they were successful, and they were safe. Other surrounding nations didn't want to come and attack because King Uzziah was their king, but everything changes when King Uzziah dies. It's becoming less predictable and less secure. The unknown is ahead. So it's in this year, in the year that King Uzziah dies, that this is what it says next. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, and I'm just making an observation here that when one king dies, there's another that remains on the throne unmoved. So as we live in a culture that changes our world, changes our country, changes our politics, changes our culture, and as things in your life are changing, there's a king sitting on the throne that is unmoved and unchanged. Okay, that's the first thing that Isaiah sees. And this is what it goes on to say. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth... Is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. So, what is happening? Isaiah is getting a picture, a vision into the very throne room of God. The place where God rules from this is the vision that Isaiah is getting that's going to change everything about his life. And in this vision, here's what he sees. He sees two seraphim, which is a weird foreign term to us, but what seraphim are, are angelic beings. If you translate the word seraphim in Hebrew, it literally means burning ones. So these are angelic flying balls of fire, which Makes me think that Jerry Lee Lewis had a really similar spiritual encounter when he wrote the song, or when he wrote the lyrics, goodness gracious, great balls of fire. Right, like he, he was seeing something spiritual maybe. I don't know, something similar to Isaiah. But, but there, there's these spiritual beings that are burning. And their whole job, all they've done for all of eternity, is say in God's presence, holy, holy, holy. They're heavenly beings that simply exist to burn for the holiness of God. So what is God's holiness? What does that word mean and what does that mean for you? Well, holy means set apart. It means different from. So what I'm not saying when I say God is holy, I'm not saying that God is a little bit nicer than you or a little bit more knowledgeable than you, or a little bit more gracious than you, what I'm saying is God is utterly different from you. He does not simply follow a little bit better morality. He sets morality. He is the standard of goodness. He's also utterly unlike you in his characteristics. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He is set apart. He's holy. But don't miss that they just say he's holy. They say he's holy, holy, holy. And the repetition there actually has meaning. So in ancient Hebrew literature, they didn't use words like very or really. So they'd use repeated words, right? So uh, if you know me, you know I love uh, Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches. I think they're the best chicken sandwiches. I know some people might disagree with them, with me on that. But I had one for dinner. And uh, when I, like, say Chick-fil-A sandwiches are, are good, I'd be like, man, Chick-fil-A sandwiches are really good. But in, if I was, like, using ancient Hebrew, I'd be like, Chick-fil-A sandwiches, they're good, good. You know? Uh, when I woke up this morning... And, and saw that both uh, the wild and the timber was lost last night. I was a little crushed. I, like I, I, I wasn't just hurt. I was hurt-hurt. You know, like, you, you guys know what I'm saying? Like, you're not just hurt. You're hurt-hurt, okay? Here's what the seraphim are saying. They're not just saying he's holy. They're not just saying he's holy-holy. They're holy, saying holy. he's holy-holy-holy. He's holy-holier-holiest. It's the only time in Scripture where three characteristics are listed in a row. The only time that's done in Scripture is when it's describing the holiness of God. He's holy, holy, holy. So my question is, do you see the holiness of God like that? Where he's not just holy to you. His holiness isn't just a concept that you know. It's not just a character trait that you can list But have you seen God as totally set apart from everything else in your life? That seeing the holiness of God reshapes everything you've ever seen before. It's not just that God is holy, it's that he's holy, holy, holy. And here's how you can test if you've seen the holiness of God. If you've had an encounter like Isaiah has had. Because if you have seen the holiness of God, the only choice that you have is to react like Isaiah reacts. It's the only choice that you have. And so the second thing we're going to see from the life of Isaiah is what his lips say. So he sees the holiness of God and then this is the only thing Isaiah can say after he sees the holiness of God. This is verse 5. It says, And I said... Woe is me. I am in complete despair. I am radically undone after looking at the holiness of God. I'm so aware of the the depth of my brokenness because he's holy and I'm not. This is what he goes on to say, For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Notice what Isaiah says. He says, For I am a man of unclean lips. So why is that significant? Because Isaiah's job was that of a prophet. Which means his lips, the things that he said, were the most important and most influential thing about him. He was a professional speaker for a living. And he was so good at it, the things he said were written in a book that we're still reading 3,000 years later. Which means, no offense, Isaiah is really good at his job, probably better than you will ever be at anything you do. I mean, if you write a book and it's being read 3,000 years later, come talk to me and have a conversation with me about it. But, like, this is Isaiah. He's, He's a really impressive guy. And the greatest thing about him is his lips. And you know what he says? He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. The best thing about me is completely undone before the holiness of God. So what do you think the greatest thing about you is? What's like something if God was here, he'd maybe... He'd admire that part of your life. Is it it your intellect? Is it your morality? At least I don't live like those people. Maybe it's your ability to, to socialize or your ability to influence people. Your ability to make people laugh or make people happy. Maybe it's like Isaiah, your words that other people want to follow or your ideas that make other people want to change. Honestly, before I was a Christian, I, I, like really, I was like, oh, do I have to pick just one on the list? Like I really got this thing figured out. you know? I like really thought I was God's gift to the world, honestly. I was like, I'm amazing. This is awesome. Uh, but God, you, you want to be humble? Look at the holiness of God. Because when we see the glory of God, the greatest thing in our life will be completely undone because of who He is. Right? Like Isaiah. Isaiah maybe didn't realize this before. I, that's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if this is the first time Isaiah realizes this. Because it, in Isaiah 1 through 5, I'm wondering if he like grew up in the... In the right home, you know, came to the right events like this, where he knew the right things to say and the right things to do. He walked, he walked the walk, he talked the talk. He he talked about the holiness of God. And you know what? Isaiah was probably the most godly person anyone knew. He was a prophet. He heard from God. But I'm wondering. If Isaiah was a godly person, but up until this point had never been undone by the holiness of God. And and I'm wondering if there are people similar to that in this place. Like you've been coming to Saul Company all year. Or for multiple years, you kind of know the right things to say, know the right things to do during worship. Maybe in your quiet moments, you're like, man, I'm a little better than these people. Or if I'm not better than people in here, at least I'm a little better than the people out there. Like people that you know, don't come to Soul Company, don't quite have their life together. How do you change that? You need to be undone by the holiness of God. As Tim Keller puts it, you need to have a God quake. Where you see God for who he is and it shakes every part of your life, every fiber of your being. A God quake. And a God quake is going to lead to a self quake. Undone. Every part of me is shaken. Notice what Isaiah says. He says, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You know what he realizes when he sees the holiness of God? Man, I'm living this life on flat ground. I'm no better than the people around me. His understanding of himself and his understanding of the people around him has completely changed. Here's what Isaiah is realizing and I'm wondering if you might realize tonight is that proper understanding of God does not come when you say the right things about him but when you feel utterly helpless in his presence. That's where right understanding of God comes from. So my question is, have you ever felt that? Helpless in God's presence? Have you been undone by the holiness of God? So, the the next right question should be how in the world does Isaiah live through this experience? Because the holiness of God is so grand and his weakness is so great that he should have been struck dead right there in God's presence, utterly destroyed by his holiness. He's so different. But why does he continue to live? This is the third point. Why his heart beats. Okay, is what Isaiah sees, what his lips say. And then the the third thing I want you to notice is why his heart continues to beat. Because something needs to happen for the sinfulness of Isaiah to be reconciled with the holiness of God. And it happens in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Grace meets Isaiah. The grace of God meets Isaiah in his weakest moment. I just want you to notice something. That the seraphim, these burning angelic beings, need to take tongs to grab the coal off the altar. And it, I'm guessing it wasn't because of how hot the coal was. They were burning angelic beings. I'm wondering if it was because of how holy the coal was. That he took it from the very atoning altar of God's grace and he took it to the very part of Isaiah where he needed it the most. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and the coal touched his lips. You see, in this moment, we see Isaiah awakened to the radical grace of God. Not just knowledge of God, not just knowing that God is gracious, but he experiences the grace of God in the very place where he needed it the most. It's not something Isaiah did, but simply something Isaiah experienced. So it is with God's grace in our lives. It's never earned, it's never achieved. It's not. Something we beg for, ask for, or perform to get. It is something that is simply experienced when we see his holiness, when we're undone by our brokenness, and when he allows us to live through that. That is the grace of God meeting you in your brokenness. It's the burning, holy grace of God cleansing his people. So how does Isaiah change? He's changed by the awakening power of grace. And so for you, have you been changed? Have you been awakened to the power and love of God's grace in your life? I just want to talk to some of you. Man, maybe you've been coming all year, and this is the last full message we're going to give all year. Maybe you've been coming for multiple years and you still feel like an outsider. You get like you see the holiness of God and you know that you are broken. You talk about it, we talk about it, you feel it, you experience it in the depth of your being, but you're still like, "Why am I not like those other people?" And here's what I want you to here's what I want you to see. I'm wondering if it's because you haven't experienced the coal, the burning coal of God's holy grace for you that you can come into this place with weak and broken parts of your life, the part of your life that you don't want anyone to know. You don't want God to dig and uproot. And what I want you to hear from tonight, what I want you to hear from Isaiah's story in Isaiah 6, and what I think God might be sharing with you, is that even the deepest, most broken parts of you, God wants to meet with grace. He doesn't just want you to know it. He wants you to experience it. Freedom relationship with him, that he doesn't hold that against you because of what Jesus has done for you. You want to know where your Isaiah 6 experience of God's grace is? Go back 2,000 years ago to a place called Calvary where Jesus hung on a Roman cross in your place. That is your Isaiah 6 experience that proves that God's grace can reach even you in the darkest parts of your life. So don't leave this place without knowing what it's like to experience God's grace. And if you need help with that, find one of us on staff. And I think that's where we think the story ends. Like, we should wrap up the sermon here. We're good. Isaiah's good. But this is where Isaiah's story starts. Like, the rest of the book of Isaiah is written in light of what happens in Isaiah 6. This is how his life changes forever. Right? He he leaves a changed person and he lives a changed life So I actually want to go back to verse 3. What do the seraphim say in the presence of God? They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and the whole earth is full of his glory. Here's what I think the seraphim are saying is that the holiness of God was never meant to just be maintained in the throne room of God but was meant to pour over from the throne room into the rest of creation. That the rest of creation would feel the weight of the holiness of God. That the holiness of God would touch every part of the earth. The earth has always meant to be an extension of the throne room of God and so this changes Isaiah. It changes where his feet go. Okay, so how does Isaiah live to change life? It changes where his feet go because This is what happens next. Verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? The first time God speaks in the entire chapter is that. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And here's what Isaiah says Here I am. Send me. So what happens, Isaiah is so changed by the grace of God. In one interaction, he's undone by the holiness of God. He's undone by his own brokenness. He experiences the grace of God, and in the same interaction, he says, I'll go. God doesn't even need to command it. He just, he just asks the question. Isaiah volunteers to go. He's been changed, so he's willing to do whatever it takes Because it's no longer about what Isaiah is doing, it's about who Isaiah is doing it for. He's doing it for the God that has showed him grace. And so God's like, whom shall I send? Where are we going to go? Doesn't matter, I'm in. I'm willing to do whatever. He doesn't know what the job is. He doesn't know if God's sending him to his roommates, to his classmates, to his parents, to Purdue students, to his professor, to international students. Doesn't know, he just says, I'm in. Sign me up. Tell me where to go. I'm going. You want to know what? Like, what's crazy about the book of Isaiah? We're not even. We're not going to read it. But the next verses, Isaiah gets gets the short end of the stick. He doesn't even get a good job. It's like God's like, hey, give this really hard message to people, and they're never going to listen to you. And Isaiah has one question for God. It's like, how long? And God's response is like, until I lie ruin to these cities. Good luck, pal. Like, go get him, Tiger. but Isaiah's priorities have changed. It's not about platforming him. It's about platforming God. Like this rocks Isaiah's world, this experiential knowledge of God's holiness, of God's goodness, of God's grace, that he's just like, I want to live in it. I never want to leave it. You tell me where to go, I'm going, because I just want to experience what it's like to know you and to be sent by you and to be shown grace by you, and you're going to continue to do it again and again and again man, I don't want to leave that place, and so I'm going to go wherever you ask me to. Wherever you are, I'm there. And so when you look to Jesus, when you look to Jesus, where's God sending you? Maybe there's a person or group of people that come to mind. Maybe it's a place. Maybe it's high school friends, roommates, your family, your classmates. And I'm with you, God. Like, the task can be scary. It's going to be an awkward conversation, maybe with an awkward person. Maybe the person God put on your heart is actually someone you need to apologize to. Reconcile with someone you need to forgive. Maybe it's someone smarter than you, cooler than you. Maybe it's someone who has their life together more than you do. And when you focus on the task, your inevitable conclusion will be, I'm not good enough for that. Maybe another time, maybe another person, maybe when I clean myself up more or when I know more, then I can go. But if you start with who has assigned the task, that is where confidence is found. Because the source of all of Christian living is not, am I qualified to do this, but who has called me to do this? The source of Christian living is God and His holiness. It's what He's done. It's the gospel. It's the changing, empowering, experiential knowledge of His grace. And so when you focus on grace, our response is easy. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere, anytime. Whatever it takes, whatever sacrifice you call me to, I'm in because I want to go with you. And that is the changing and shaping power of God's grace. And so Isaiah is saying, I want to be a a part of declaring the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And what I want to say to you is you can be a part of that too. But it does take turning your eyes off of your to-do list, off of your to-don't list, off of the tasks at hand and turning them towards Jesus. So I just want to, this last full sermon of the year, I just want to talk to a couple people specifically. First, I want to talk to you if you're, uh, man, if you're like worried about summer. Maybe you came in here and you saw a lot of growth in what Jesus has done in your life over this school year. And you're a little bit nervous to go home this summer. You're nervous to share with your friends. You're nervous you're not good enough. You're nervous you're not going to experience the grace of God. But what I want you to notice from the story of Isaiah 6 is that none of his change and none of his experience was dependent on a person other than God. It was not dependent on a ministry. It was not dependent on a place that cannot be accessed where you're from. It's dependent on the throne room of God, which you have access to by the Spirit because of what Jesus has done. Which means as you go home and you're nervous, you can still change because your change has always been dependent on the holiness of God. And his grace towards you. Second group of people I want to acknowledge are the seniors. Uh, seniors, I love you guys. I'm not going to say more than that or I'll get a little sappy and for another time. Uh, but I think we can ask the question, like, what, what does the future hold? I don't know. What's God going to do with your life? I don't know. But I know he's appointed you to a place and to a position to reach and share and love people. And that task can feel daunting because the unknown is scary. And what I want you to know is that let this season of transition push you all the more to look at the one who has assigned you to the task that you're in. Let your eyes be fixated on the grace and holiness of Jesus and he will meet you in the unknown and in the scary and in the transition with his grace again. So for... All of us, let 2 Corinthians 5 serve as an encouragement. This is what it says. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God can make you an ambassador of his kingdom. Not because you're qualified to do it, but because Jesus has qualified you by showing you the measure and extent of his grace. Because Jesus has become sin for you. Because Jesus has taken the coal from the very throne room of God and he's taken it to the brokenness of our lips. And it's at this point where we see the transforming power of God's grace, and he did it not by taking a coal from the altar, but by laying on the altar himself a cross. And it's at the death of Jesus where we see that's the sin that we deserve. Our brokenness being poured out. The penalty for our brokenness being poured out on the very person that didn't deserve it. And he does this so that people of unclean lips could become righteous before God. And in his resurrection, he secured for you an eternity that changes the way that you live. So now you, being having experienced the grace of God, can raise your hand and say, here I am. Send me. Task unknown. But the one who has sent me known. The one who has rescued my soul knows and loves it. And he will walk with me in those places. And so... Uh, we're actually ending tonight's service a little differently. If you guys are, have been around Soul Company, what you know is we typically uh, end, or we sometimes end messages by telling a story about a, a person or um, from the Bible or a person from history or a person that we know in our lives that really like, embodies the message really well, lives an Isaiah-style life. But today's a little different because there are actually those people in this room. People that like, live the Isaiah life, having experienced the transforming power of God's grace, raising their hand and saying, here I am, send me. And so uh, I actually want to invite the band up first, but I also want to invite our uh, Salt Company summer team up to the stage. So if you didn't know, uh, Salt Company sends summer trips. Uh, every year, summer team, you guys can actually start heading up. Uh, and uh, we send summer trips where... We have students raise their hand and, we, and they say, hey, for eight weeks over the summer, I want to give my summer to going to places that are spiritually dark so that I can share the gospel of Jesus with these people. And so we have seven students that have raised their hand and say, hey, send me. I want to be a part of the going forth of God's glory, God's holiness, and God's grace. And so uh, I think we only have four, five, four of the seven, but that's okay Guys, these people are awesome. Yeah, you can clap. (laughs) Guys, these people are examples for you of an Isaiah 6 story. Because, man, I love you guys, no offense. like They don't have their lives perfectly together. They don't know everything there is to know. But they've seen the holiness of God. They've been undone by it. And they've experienced his grace that so captivated them that they say, man, I, I need to bring this grace wherever God has called me to. So they're going to spend eight weeks in a place that they don't know, with people that they don't know, a culture that they don't know, a language that they don't know, food that they don't know. So their only goal, meeting students that don't know Jesus, like you ask them who Jesus is, they have no answer. And they can introduce them to the one that has shown them grace and will show the, the person grace too so I want to talk to you guys really quickly. So proud of you, honored to, to know you and to watch you be sent to yeah a place you guys don't know yet, but a place I'm sure you will love and a place where you will be an ambassador for Christ. You will bring God's holiness to a place that doesn't know him you will bring the transforming power of grace to people that will experience it for the first time. That is a worthy calling. I'm so thankful and proud of you guys. And so uh, we're, we're just going to end by praying for them. It's a little different. And so uh, throughout church history, what what people have done is they've laid hands on uh, people that they're sending. And, and really all this is, it's not like overly spiritual, but, it, but it's to say, hey, we actually are like by God's spirit sending you in God's name to do God's work. And so if you want no no pressure, but you guys can just like extend a hand, say like, hey, we're, we're with you, we're for you, we're sending you, we love you. And I've ex- invited some people who have uh, gone on overseas trips before to, to just pray for them. And so would you guys pray uh, with us as we pray for this team?
1: Heavenly Father, we just come before you right now, and we thank you, and we praise you for, yeah, raising up more laborers for your harvest, Lord. Um, I thank you that this team has seen and has been undone by the holiness of God so much so that they are here today saying, here I am, send me. Um, And so, yeah, Lord, I just pray that you would bless them as they they go to uh, a new country and, and share the good news
2: Father, pray for these people that as they're in a place that they don't know, that they're comforted by the God that they do know, the same God there as you are here. And just as they have experienced your grace here and have witnessed your beauty here, God, I just pray that as they're overseas, they would continue to be captivated by you, Jesus. They'd continue to be captivated by your grace your invitation to a beautiful life of relationship with you, and would that be the thing that helps them love the good moments, celebrate the moments where they see you move, and would that be the thing that moves them in faith during the hard moments too? Would they see you, would they love you, um, and be changed by you over the summer?
1: Lord, I just pray for the people that they're going to meet when they're overseas. I um, pray for the friendships that they're going to form. And Lord, I just pray that you would soften hearts of those who will hear. I pray that this summer they would have an opportunity to be undone by your holiness and to maybe for the first time hear the gospel and to recognize that you are real and that you are worthy of their lives. And God, I just pray that you would start working in them now and continue working in them well after the team has left. And I just thank you for each of them. And um, Lord, we don't know their names or their faces yet, but you do. And so we just thank you that you've given this summer team an opportunity to go and to um, form relationships with them and share who you are with them. thanks for that truth that it's not about these students being qualified, but it's the one who has called them. So, Lord, I just ask that they would trust that, that you have called them to this and that they can trust the assignment giver. And, Lord, I pray that on the good days and on the hard days, would their gaze be fixed on Jesus. Lord, would they not look to their circumstances? Would they not even look to each other? Would they not look... To weekly calls home, God, would they not look to those things to be their comfort? But, Lord, I pray 2 Corinthians 1 over them that they would look to the God of all comfort, the one who has provided all of their needs to this day and will forevermore. And so, God, thank you for these students. Thanks for the people that you're making them to be, the godly men and women. We trust that you who started a good work in them will bring it to completion. We love you, Lord. We trust you and pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.